In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin first welcome host of the Blazers Edge podcast and co-host of NBC's Northwest Blazers Outsiders postgame show, Dan Morang. He explains why hoop fans should pay more attention and appreciate Damian Lillard. We also ask him if the Blazers will ever win a title with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in the backcourt. Then, Matt and Justin discuss how the NCAA dropped the ball with the women's basketball tournament and break down if the three-point shot is ruining basketball. And now, Dan Morang. He is the host of the Blazers Edge podcast and the co-host of NBC's Northwest Blazers Outsiders postgame show. We now welcome Dan Morang onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Dan? Not too bad, guys. How y'all doing? Really, really good. Um, looking forward to this chat and wanted just to pick your brain um, regarding the Portland Trailblazers. Um, right now, they're they're looking pretty good in the Western Conference. Um, they just got off with a huge victory over the Dallas Mavericks um, last night mm-hmm. as, as of this recording, um, March 20th, uh, 2021. And I wanted to discuss just um, – the Trailblazers after the All Star break, they look really good. I'm um, had the number one offense in the NBA. Um, you mm-hmm. retweeted this tweet um, from Jason Quick of the Athletic. Um, yeah. They're they're looking really good. What do you make of this team so far after the All Star break? And these, how good do you see them performing in terms of the West once we get into the end of the season? So whatever you think of the Trailblazers, they're always going to do better than whatever it is you think. That's that's kind of been their ethos under Damian Lillard, under Terry Stotts, CJ McCollum. Like the last six years has kind of been the only time they have ever fallen short of expectations was when they got housed by the Pelicans in the playoffs. That's that's it. Other than that, they have exceeded expectations every year. But they're still not great. Even though you look at them right now and there was, oh, you know, when Yusuf Nurkic gets back, they'll they'll really get in gear. Well, they still feature a 6'1 guard, a 6'3 guard, and a couple of forwards that, while they're better than they were when they had Alfred Camino Moharkless in those spots, now with Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington, they're still not versatile. They're, they're siloed players. So you're very reliant on the elite level isolation and pick and roll play. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just limits how effective you can be with certain things of undersized guards, which while they've been successful in the regular season have yet to, I mean, let's go back historically outside of Isaiah Thomas and and Joe Dumars, a a small backcourt has never won. It's never happened outside of those two guys and they're both hall of famers. So I say all of that to kind of frame where the Blazers are right now. They are who they are. They're a good team. They can beat anybody on any given night, and they can lose to anybody on any given night. They are a very particular team that is incredibly good offensively, can play well defensively, and can present some unique opportunities to go against other teams. But they only have so many lanes they can choose from, and if you start taking those lanes away from them, they start to look less than stellar. So, Dan... That seems to be kind of the storyline with the Trailblazers. Correct me if I'm wrong, like the last few years. So yeah. what is it going to take for this team? I mean, it seems like we're kind of at a turning point in terms of yeah. are they just going to stay kind of at this same thing every single year? It's kind of uh-huh. the same story. Or, uh-huh. I mean, it, it seems like you've heard this kind of um, same old story before. So I mean, what is it yeah. going to take? I mean, ultimately, is it? I guess I'll just say it. I mean, can they win with CJ McCollum and Damian Litter? As, as they can't. So they have to make a move, you think? They, they, I, I, and it's not – I always have to preface this with anybody I'm explaining this to for the first time. It's not that I don't like CJ or that I don't think he's a good player. Sure. I think he's a point guard miscast as a two. 
that's that's realistically what I, when you look at his numbers when Damian Lillard has been out in those games CJ is averaging 30 points 8 assists 8 rebounds he, he's putting up Lillard-esque numbers in those situations while I don't think he's quite to that level if he was running a team Take really any team in the NBA who doesn't have an elite level point guard. If you put CJ McCollum, hell, if you put CJ McCollum in Boston right now, had they made a swap then for whatever draft pick haul and they didn't have Kemba, I think CJ would be a better fit because of his ability to work in the pick and roll, because of his isolation ability, because of his ability to work in the mid range. When, when CJ's healthy and he's rolling, he's one of the three best mid range shooters in the NBA. It's him, it's Kevin Durant, it's Kyrie Irving. It's those three. And they're they're so far above everybody else in that respect. It presents a unique dynamic. But the word that I've come up with to describe the Portland Trailblazers as it pertains to this group, not necessarily this group, to Damon CJ, you're siloed in that you have to have certain things to build alongside them. If you just had Dame and you had a, a CJ-esque player at literally any other position, you can you can work with some things, but because they make up the backcourt, because they're they're less than elite level NBA athletes with elite size or uh, hyper twitch, you know, ability defensively or switch ability, it limits what you can do to build alongside them. So you look at it, and again, they have a very high floor. There's no doubt about that. Nobody wants to play that team. Like when you look at it, you're like, oh, God, I got to defend these two guys for 48 minutes. That's what they look at every every night because they will make you work. And here's the thing. Damian Lillard has elevated to a point of what we're seeing right now is quite literally the best clutch player the NBA has ever measured. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Some uh, I, think, I think the jump had it the other day. Um, it's a chart basically showing true shooting attempts and then true shooting uh, percentage. And there's like a star out in the nether regions of this chart that is Damian Lillard, the North Star. And then you've got like you know, Jokic and Giannis and these other in Harden and these guys that have like 58 to 70% true shooting percentage on high volume. And you're like, how is Dame the all the way up there? So he's been able to, at least this year, take and win games five or six that they shouldn't have won. That That's how good he has been in those situations where it flips some of the perception. But you run this team into the playoffs, they still run into the same issues. They can't switch. They're too they're too reliant on uh, a couple of guards, and they can't really get things done defensively with their offensive units. So they're still kind of juggling this. So get the long way to get back to your point. Yes, they need to make a change. They, they have needed to trade. They have needed to trade CJ McCollum since he broke out in two, 2015 in the playoffs. Dan, with the history of this team, I mean, this season included, last season included. Do you think we have a fair sense as fans of the full potential of this Trailblazers team? How much do you think that weighs in in, into like how we assess how competitive this team can be? So I know I just everything I said, I don't think we've seen the full potential of this team, but I don't think that has anything to do with Damon CJ. I, I think they are who they are. The biggest difference is we have not seen Yusuf Nurkic really in a playoff series healthy. You saw him in the bubble last year against the Lakers. He was gassed. He had not played basketball basically leading up into the bubble in almost, what, two years? I mean, that's 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 the situation that he was coming off of. So I think that's probably the 
the the lone question. And as we're sitting here recording this now, he was supposed to be back right now, uh, according to the original diagnosis, but he's delayed off of a calf injury. And he's probably not going to be back until the end of March. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they want to make sure they, they said he's got a calf injury, but he's also a clutch client. They, they want to make sure his guy looks good because he's going to come out there and he's going to have some eyes on him. They're going to be making one of those stretch runs again. Dame's going to be at the forefront of the MVP story. And if Nurk comes out, and I'll be honest, he he looked awful to start the season. He was mm. out. And th- there's a reason for it. And, and, and this is, I think this is one of the acceptable reasons when you're talking about this. Nurk lost his grandmother to COVID going mm. into the bubble. Or, or she got sick going into the bubble. And he opted to stay in the bubble instead of going back to Bosnia. That haunted him. And it still haunts him. And so he stayed in Bosnia but when the training camp was starting up to deal with some other family issues. Uh, and he wasn't in shape. He wasn't ready to go. Uh, and... and Normally, I would definitely look at that and be like, come on, man, this is your this is your job, this is your livelihood, you got to kind of figure it out. In his case, I was like, ah, I get it. I, I get it. And he admitted it. He's like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not where I am. I'm not where I need to be. It's, it is what it is. I'm trying to get there. And then, you know, he breaks the hand and, you know, we're, we're kind of back to the situation. So I think they're trying to make sure he's fully healthy and fully ready to go as he gets back out there. And it's not a, uh, a conditioning issue uh, when he gets back out on the floor and everybody's got eyes on him. Do you get the sense that in inside the franchise, you know, we're leading up to the trade de, de, trade deadline, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get the sense that the franchise is leaning more towards like let's run this back, or it's time to make a move, uh, time to time to break this up a little bit, maybe get out of that silo that you're talking about. I mean, obviously Dame Willard is untouchable. Um, but Dame's the only untouchable. Else, yeah. That, that's the thing. And so if you're looking at, at how things are structured, I, CJ's as close to it as he gets it. It's because Olshay kind of treats him as one of his draft picks. Here's the thing. The, the guy that everybody talks about with Portland is Gary Trent Jr. There's a couple things to know about Gary. Number one, he's a second-round pick. He was a guaranteed second-round pick because they used part of their MLE to pay him. That's how much they invested him early on. But here's how Olshay operates. He uses those early second-round picks as trade chips. He tries to grow them, build them up, develop them. Think Alan Crabb. Think uh, Pat Connaughton, Jake Lehman was supposed to be another one of those guys. They take a fly and they actually do a pretty damn good job in that regard of finding guys that are NBA caliber players in the second round. Not many teams have done much better with those picks. I'd say probably the Nuggets with Monte Morris and oh yeah, that Jokic guy uh, did pretty good in that regard. But that's kind of been the Blazers' MO. The problem is they they haven't had a guy hit quite early enough to turn it into a trade, to get something out of them other than what they gave that franchise. But because Gary has been so good that he's stepped in for C.J. McCollum and shown he's starter capable. I mean, he's one of probably the 10 best three-point shooters in the NBA right now. That's not the Blazers' homer in me. You can look at the numbers. He's a 40-plus percent guy on volume as a starter on scouting reports. Like, he's he's that dude. He's a plus defender. He's not a great defender, but what team in the NBA doesn't want a six-foot-four, strong, heady, smart, three-point shooting defensive two-guard? It, it, like him and Robert Covington are two guys you can throw on any team in the NBA and be like, yeah, no, they fit. And so problem is they're going to have, well, 80-ish million dollars tied up in Damon CJ going into next year. They can't afford to throw 18 to 20 million, which is what I've been told Gary Trent Jr. is going to command on the open market. So they've got a couple options. They've got to either trade him now at the trade deadline. They've either got to work a sign-in trade uh, in free agency, or they're going to have to sign him and retain him and then look to flip him six months later when he's, or excuse me, 90 days later when he's tradable again. But you have to be careful with some of the poison pill provisions that kind of come with those situations. Then that value comes back down and the players, well, 
they're not going to be stuck in the same situation that we're with Alan Crabb and having to take on negative assets that are, wow, let me check the clock. Yes, still on the Blazers payroll five years later. Um, but they they can find a way. And and I, I actually, before I hopped on with you guys, I had made a few phone calls. I, I know they are sniffing around some guys. Um, I I don't know if it'll be enough to get things done. I, I The offer that I heard was more than I thought would be on the table. I'll, I'll leave it at that. So they're, they're always trying to make a move, but they also will. The only time I've ever heard CJ McCollum's name be actually in a trade offer and be put on the table was a few months ago, with James Harden. That is the only time I have heard that he could be made available for the right trade, but James Harden was the one and only time I have heard that he is, his name was in the mix. Not for Paul George, not for anybody else. Uh, it's it was just Harden. So that's that's the kind of level you're talking about with how the Blazers view McCollum in that regard. But I, I think they're going to be a strong competitor for Lamarcus Aldridge when he gets bought out. I'm nearly certain he's going to be bought out at this point. Uh, Lamarcus has made no secret that he wants to come back here. The organization has said as much that they would like to have him back as much as they can without you know shooting a flare into the sky. Dame has said so publicly. And let's be honest, the Blazers can't trust any of their big men outside of Ennis Cantor right now. I mean, Zach Collins is going to be, after the season, not not to play basketball essentially for two years. Nurk has played what, 12 games, 20, 25 games in the past three years. So getting a seven-footer who immediately knows the system, even if he's lost a step defensively, has all the, the faith and trust of, of Terry Stotts, can come in, knock down a shot, and you can run an offense through – I could very easily see them going out there and and being. I think it's going to be between Miami and Portland for for Lamarcus when it's all said and done. Dan, um, I want to talk to you about Damian Lillard, just his evolution <laughs> as a player. And you um, retweeted an article from Jason Quick, and I didn't realize this reading it. What a horrible eighteen months for Damian Lillard in terms of his personal yeah, yeah. life. It is unbelievable. Can you just take us in terms of just his mindset? Because I believe the national media is just not really playing this up in terms of what, yeah. um, how well he's performing under these circumstances. It's, it's quite incredible. So they, like we all hear the, the tropes about athletes and how dedicated they are and how hardworking they are. And for the most part, I think you can say that about most people in any walk of life. Damian Lillard is genuinely different. I don't say that as a guy that covers him. I say that as a guy who's lived and seen this stuff. Um, he he truly is different. He came from a place in Oakland uh, in Brookfield that is it's, – it's not good. He, he saw somebody get killed in front of him at 12 years old. He has lost numerous friends to senseless violence. He just, you know, was it back in October? Was it August? Guys, it all blurs together during COVID. Um, the article you alluded to, um, his cousin, Chef B. Um, he was his private chef, uh, both for him and CJ. A um, little peek behind the curtain, the, the day he passed, he was supposed to be on my podcast. I was texting him and wasn't hearing back from him, and it wasn't until later that day I found out what had happened. And um, Dame walks in and, and finds the dead body of his cousin just in the middle of COVID while his wife is pregnant with twins while he's already got a kid on the way after the bubble. Like it's just one thing after another. Then another friend is months later is, is shot dead Two, In fact, one cousin and one really close friend. So he, <laughs> he has been through 
a ton. Uh, and you could see it. And then the most recent events were a couple weeks ago and it was on the tail end of a road trip. And you could, for those of us that knew kind of what was going on, it was more than like, yeah, Dame doesn't have it tonight. Like emotionally, you could just see he was just gone, just gone. And yet he still went out there and for Damian Lillard standards, it was subpar, but still, you know, put up all NBA type performances. And I have a few people text me, like, hey, is, is Dame okay? Is he hurt? And I'm like, nah, he's going through some stuff. You know, you'll probably see something about it here in a little while. And then Jason wrote the article and Dame shared it on IG. This dude is, he is, he's, I hate saying this, but he's different. He really is different. And he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks it every part of it. Everything he does is measured. And I don't mean that in a way of like marketing. He thinks about things and he he does things with purpose. And the it, from the way he goes about his game to in the offseason, like, okay, you know, I got to work on how I handle traps. Uh, I've got to be able to extend my range out. I've got to be able to finish inside uh, through contact. I've got to be better at getting to the free throw line. I've got to be better about uh, finding kickouts to, you know, a, a, a step or two further into the paint. Also, I've got to find a way to get back to my community. I've got to find a way to grow my brand. I know that music is something that allows me to express myself and, and allow me to be free and be who I am. I got to find time for that. Like he prioritizes and he plans. And he does everything with purpose. And it's truly incredible to watch because you think about all the different ways that he's being pulled in life. And then he goes out there and says, I want to finish my career in Portland. I want to, and he, this is, this is how self-aware he is. So in Dame's rookie year, Sasha Pavlovich was on the team. Sasha's loved by all of his teammates, right? They were asking Dame about trade talks. And he says, I, I couldn't be a GM because if I was a GM, Sasha Pavlovich would still be my teammate because he, he rides for his guys. They're, not every single player that has ever come through Portland and Damian Lillard period has has had effusive praise for Damian Lillard. But those guys, you can kind of tell they are a little bit different to begin with. But they will all say the same thing about Dame. They all he looks out for guys. He he, he treats everybody like friends, like family. He he wants to see. If you take people talk about the, the summer of 2016 when the Blazers made some salary decisions that were pretty crippling. But he wanted to see Mo Harkless get paid. He wanted to see Alan Crabb get paid. He wanted to see Myers Leonard get paid. He wants to see all of his teammates get paid. And he doesn't want to build a super team in the sense of knocking somebody else out to bring them in. He wants to build with his guys. He, to him, it would be that much more special. I think he's crazy because I don't think it'll ever happen. But that's it's not fake. Like It took me a couple years to figure out that he would add something new to his game that I need to stop questioning what his limits were. And then it took me a little bit longer to realize that he he's different. He he really is. He goes about things in a different manner and he attacks them with such ferocity, with such purpose that you start looking around the league. And I'm sure you guys have had a discussion like this before. There are so many players in the NBA. You know, we got 450-ish active players. There's a good chunk of those dudes that basketball isn't their number one thing in life. That's just that that goes through all walks of life. It took me a little while to kind of figure that out when I first started really getting into this. There are some guys that they just want to get paid and show up, cash their checks, and hope. Like Dame lives this stuff. 
And so you start seeing that different show, the Damian Lillards, the Giannis's, the Jimmy Butler's, the guys that just show through. And so you look at what Dame's been through in his last 18 months. And then you look at the performances right now. The numbers he's putting up right now are better than any numbers, any trailblazer ever. Not Bill Walton, not Clyde Drexler, nobody, not, not Brandon Roy. It's he is one of one. And so part of me wants things to come together for him in the way that he wants it. Most of me though, is like trade CJ, <laughs> trade this person, trade this, but put dudes around him and give him the, 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 the number one face of this franchise, give him a real shot because if it's all said and done and he doesn't get a real shot, I'm talking like, just give him a Charles Barkley and Phoenix shot. Like give him the dark horse chance. Let him go on that big stage. Even if he gets swept there, but at least get him there, give him that chance. And if they can do that for him, I think everything will kind of come together. But that's a long roundabout way of getting to kind of what he's been through and what he is and what he means to this franchise now. And saying that, Dan, I guess my question is, what is this going to be his legacy? He seems fiercely loyal to Portland. Yeah, yeah we know how the game is played with different players. I mean, Charles Barkley, and when he has a phenomenal career, what's the first thing that's brought up? Never won a title. Mm-hmm. And as great as Damian Lillard is, once we talk about him in the Hall of Fame one day, that's going to be the strike against him if he remains in Portland, doesn't get the job done. So you, you say he's just a student of the game. He's so passionate. It's I guess in terms of his desire to win the title and his loyalty to Portland, I get the sense that his loyalty to Portland matters more to him and ultimately winning the championship. Is that right? Or do you think that might change as the years go by? I think right now and throughout his career, that has been the case. He does want to win a title. And here's the thing. He genuinely believes that every year he can win a title. He, it's not like, a, oh, he's crazy. and He's just psyching himself up. He's nuts. He, 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 he absolutely fundamentally believes every year he has the roster to go win a title. Like, that's how the dude's wired. He, he's literally just – he's a bit of a strange cat in that regard. Like, he's, he's – like, but you have to think about that. He's a two-star guard, 6'1", 180 pounds out of Oakland, going to Weber State. Like, mm. you got to be a little bit different to – people forget that when he got drafted, it's like, yeah, he was a – Top seven pick guys, like he was, he was there because he led the nation in scoring at Weber State. Like he mm-hmm. came in in year one, beat Anthony Davis out for rookie of the year. Granted, their AD was injured a little bit, but in his first five years, Chris Paul was the only other point guard that was more efficient in the pick and roll. Like how many, <laughs> how many point guards do we see come in the NBA that are th- like Luca's the only one? Luca's the only guy we've seen since Damian Lillard come into the league and be like, yeah, no, I can run an NBA pick and roll and not just run it well, run it elite. That's the kind of player that he he turned into out of a two-star guy coming out of Oak. Like he is just a different cat in that regard. And so ultimately, I, I've said it, it'll 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 go one of two ways. He'll spend his entire career in Portland, full on Dirk Nowitzki. And it'll be good enough for him, and it'll be good enough for Portland. Even it, there will be people like me who will love and appreciate, but always wonder, well, you know, just that one chance. Like I'll go to my grave believing a healthy Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, Greg Oden team would have been a title contending team. Mm. Like those guys played a total of 66 games together. They were 50 and 12 in those games. And that was a period of when they were all kids. 
Like if those guys all stay healthy, they all stay together. I don't care about modern NBA. Good luck with Draymond Green trying to handle Greg Oden on the block. Like go mm-hmm. with God. <laughs> <laughs> but with Dame, he is not. He's Lamarcus Aldridge is the only All Star he's ever played with. That's it. That's like that's the only guy. And if you want to say, oh, Carmelo now, it's like, man, come on, let's pump the brakes. So he either finishes his entire career in Portland and plays 18, 20 years here, or or he goes Dwayne Wade, spends 99% of his career here, has a one-year tour in the Bay. I can I can see him playing a year for the Warriors mm. to go, go play in front of family, go and play in front of friends. And everybody here in Portland will have said, Hey, you earned it. You gave your heart and soul to this franchise. They kind of did the same with Drexler, but he was still pretty damn good at that point in time. It wasn't a Dwayne Wade scenario where, you know, it was, you know, end of his career, go home for a year kind of situation, come back and retire with us. Drexler went and won a ring in Houston, was still pretty decent. So I think those are probably your two options. I don't think he's ever going to go to LA. I don't think he's ever going to go to New York or any of those other markets. I think barring a monumental collapse or a seriously strained relationship, Dame spends his entire career here. I, he, has, he has stood on that mountain far too long of wanting to emulate Dirk mm. to kind of be that one singular franchise guy that I don't see him going against that. And great summary of, of Dame Lillard there, Dan. I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. Uh, I guess I'm going to quickly ask the flip side of that with Portland's relationship with Dame Lillard. I mean, you've you've talked a little bit about that. I mean, is there, for, for me as someone who's not a Blazers fan, because of many of the things you described there, his work ethic, his professionalism, the way he carries himself, I mean, it's impossible for me not to root for the guy. Yeah. Um, how is that relationship in, in Portland? I mean, is this the closest they've ever been with the player? And is there any other relationship in the NBA that's closer than this with Dame Willard in Portland? So talking to other beat writers and other writers and, and media folks that cover teams, Dame is a, a two-time award winner. I think it's the Magic Johnson Award for uh, relationship with the media. Dame has done post-game interviews every single game but one in his entire career, but one <laughs> like, let that sink in for a second. You hear players complain about doing this, that that man has answered the bell every single night of his NBA career, but once and that's, that's insane to think about. So I've talked to a lot of folks about him and everybody says that he is the best guy in the league to cover. Um, Mello is a guy who has been revered and has always been great with the media. And I talked to New York folks last year and they said the same thing about Dan. They're like, he's perfect. Like he's everything you want him to be. He has ingrained himself here in this community. He is easily the most popular star this franchise has ever had uh, locally for sure. Um, He gives back a ton. The PIL, the Portland Portland Interscholastic League, uh, inner city uh, high schools, um, football, baseball, basketball. Uh, Dan does a ton for them. Uh, given uh, money, tutoring, uh, has a uh, organization that highlights young up-and-coming leaders. And outside of COVID, he would give them tickets to games, um, scholarships, 
uh, obviously he's uh, the one thing about living in Portland is we are the home of Nike and Adidas. So they're one side of town is Nike and you know on the west side and the north side is Adidas. And obviously Dame is the face of Adidas basketball. Dame will show up in a truck full of Adidas shoes and just hand them out. Dame will show up at you know wherever at you know Shriners and go see kids. I mean he and he doesn't do this for the pub. He just does it and he's beloved. He he can go anywhere in this town any way any shape matter form and he the, the red carpet's rolled out for him because he is this town as much as I'm trying to think of LeBron probably is about as close as you get with Akron and Cleveland his first time through even though Dame's not a Portland guy that's probably the closest thing I could say before things obviously soured and I think if you're looking for somebody else active in their city right now it's probably Giannis Giannis in Milwaukee. He was kind of raised there. He got there as a, you know, as a kid. Uh, and now he's, you know, he, he found a relationship there and uh, his brothers have come and played with him there. Uh, the organization has grown and built around him. I think that's that same kind of situation where they've kind of grown up together. So I think that's probably, if you're going to draw that parallel line though, that those are probably the two guys, but yeah, no Dame Dame is right now the, the, the most favorite son of Portland. Um, shifting gears, Dan, I want to ask you personally, and uh, we've asked a lot of our other guests this, what has it been covering the league during the pandemic? I get this. A lot of them are, a lot yeah. of the journalists we've talked to seem just frustrated that the content's the same because everybody gets the same access. But mm-hmm. some echo that there are maybe some things that as the change at the conditions of covering the team have changed, they might want to stick around once things go back to normal. Is there anything positive that has come out of in terms of media coverage that you find during a pandemic that you wish would stay around once things go back to normal eventually? So you don't have the same level of access that that much is true. The, the one thing I would say is that because of that, in some cases, I find it easier to get a hold of guys off the record. Um, there's there's not as big a commitment. We, they aren't required. Obviously, we can't go into practices. We can't catch everybody pregame and postgame. So I'm on my phone a lot more <laughs> than I was in the past. Um, I found that agents are a lot easier to work with because they're also looking to get a particular narrative out. Uh, in that regard. So I think that there's probably uh, an easier medium in that regard. Um, but I am, I, I will say that that's been at least somewhat of a positive uh, that and getting people familiar with zoom technology, uh, you know, remote conferencing, uh, I think is, is a, is a good thing in general because it makes things a little bit easier to necessitate meetings and those things. Uh, beyond that though, I am a little bit worried about, things staying quite like this because then teams can limit access and control narratives a little bit more than they already do. Um, And I, I'm not like terrified of it, but I'm worried about it to an extent of like, eh, I don't think this is a good thing because having those, having that context for stuff matters. Like I could get a bite from, you know, an agent or an exec from a, from an, I think I, you know, it's uh another uh, deal might be coming up. Well, that may just be smoke because they're trying to get something out there for a client to generate some interest. I can't go in and go talk to somebody and go, Hey, what about this, this, and this, or, you know, something could come out there that, you know, 
I, I don't know what the validity of it is because I don't have that background to go off of or the, 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 the easy line to draw is a coach says, well, that wasn't part of the game plan. Well, if I can go talk to player X or player Y about, hey, man, what was the game plan? And did you like what was going on there? Well, then I can be either more critical of the coach or less critical because, yeah, no, that wasn't part of the game plan. So, and this guy freelanced something there that wasn't supposed to happen. Like that kind of stuff not being able to, to bounce that back and forth, I think is detrimental to the overall coverage. So I want to find that happy medium. But overall, I think there's some things we, we can take from this in the long run that can be good. Um, but I, God, I can't wait until, you know, we can get back into locker rooms and talk to guys again. <laughs> for sure. Well, Dan, uh, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media and um, what um, projects you're working on for the rest of this year. Awesome. Yeah, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G, Twitter, IG, YouTube. Everything's up there. Uh if you have a, if you live in the Portland market, you can find my name is NBC Sports Northwest following every Blazers game on Blazers Outsiders, uh, Blazers Edge podcast at BlazersEdge.com. Uh, if you're outside the, the Portland market and you have a VPN, please feel free, jack up the ratings. I'm all for it. Um, beyond that, on YouTube, again, at Danny Morang, uh, stuff I'm working on a lot lately uh, for those watching, uh, if there's any video going to be posted out of this. I'm in a new house, which means I'm finally moved in and my video content will be starting back up again soon. So uh, I'll have more and more posted on YouTube. It's going to be mostly Blazer specific, but uh, I have some trade deadline breakdown stuff coming up here, uh, actually, in a couple hours. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Dan, for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, oh, no problem, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the chat. Hey, no problem. You guys take care. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Man, another great weekend. Can't complain. What's up with you? Uh, nothing much, man. I wanted to ask you, um, this is something we haven't discussed off air, but last night, um, Andy Katz made a shout out to New Mexico. He shout out the Albuquerque Journal. Wow. Basically, he showed a picture of him and Charles Barkley back a super long time ago. It was an exhibition game the Sixers played in the pit. Um, the pit is the arena in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where the Lobos play, New Mexico Lobos, men and women's basketball team. And he was showing Barkley like, hey, this is when I first covered you. And Barkley couldn't believe it. So Andy Katz <laughs> actually had the photo. And, you know, Barkley, they're hating on it. It's like and Kenny Smith, they're saying the Albuquerque Journal doesn't actually exist anymore. I'm like, yes, haters. <laughs> um, so, you know, whatever. That sounds I, pretty know. typical for New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just giving some love to the, um, Albuquerque journal and, uh, Jeff Grammer, our former guest. So, um, just to shout them out last night. Um, but today, man, we're going to be, um, talking about some disparities that have been rectified, at least for the moment in terms of the men's and women's college basketball tournament. And then we're going to get into the three pointers. Um, Ray Allen has some comments in terms of the three pointers affecting today's professional game um before we get into your trending topics matt i want to um, shout out um danny morang um yeah this his coverage on the portland trailblazers the interview you just heard if you're listening to the audio portion or if you're on youtube now it's in our feed just great um analysis on the portland trailblazers great insight into damian lillard so if you really want to know about damian lillard i think just in general as as a player ever since he you know rose to prominence in college this is a great interview to check out along with how portland's doing in terms of their playoff race and what they're going to do at the upcoming trade deadline. So um, please go check that out. A really great interview. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and thanks. Shout out to Dan again for joining the show. For sure. Uh, Matt, uh, go ahead with your training topics. Yes. Let's talk about some trends. So looking east, the Eastern Conference. So trends again, to repeat for you guys, when a team wins or loses three games or more, we keep track of that on the Sunday main show that we're doing here. So uh, in the East, trending upward, Atlanta has won their last eight straight, eight straight games um, for uh, Coach McMillan, Nate McMillan. That, is, that puts him in third place for most consecutive wins for um, an interim coach taking over. So, I, And I believe the first place was at 13 wins. So Atlanta looking good ever since he has taken over. He's, he's given them that new coach boost. Milwaukee has won their last six. Trending down in the East, Toronto has lost their last seven. Miami, Charlotte, and Boston have all lost their last three games. So those are your trends out. East in the Western Conference, Denver and Portland have both won their last three games. We don't have any long jazz win streak or anything like that going on. But we do have, for my Houston Rockets, they have lost 19 Ouch. games straight, maybe oh, even 20 today, depending on what goes down in that game. So things, uh, things not going great in Houston as to be expected. Um, some other quick topics just to bring them up. Big headlines. Uh, LeBron James got a high ankle sprain in his last game. He is typical injury time, out time, recovery time for a high ankle sprain is anywhere from six weeks to three months. Uh, so LeBron James likely out the rest of the season with the Lakers last game being May 16th. Um, Blake Griffin is set to debut. He is at least active and available to be used in the roster if the Nets choose to do so tonight versus the Wizards. So Sunday night, the 21st is when we're recording this. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention just briefly, just kind of a, a follow up to one of the main headlines from last week is that Myers Leonard is mostly most likely done in the NBA. The Heat made a trade for Meyer. They sent Myers Leonard and a second round pick uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Trevor Ariza. And basically Myers Leonard was just a part of that deal for cap considerations. You probably already know he has that shoulder injury that has, has him sidelined for the rest of the year. And the Thunder have made it clear they don't really have any plans for him in their roster. So he most likely at some point will be waived or will just finish out his contract um, without playing. So he, he most likely is done in the NBA, um, at least for the time being. Um, not enough talent there for teams to really want to take a risk on him at this point. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see where he ends up. I want to comment on the LeBron James injury. Yeah. I think we'll see how long he's out for. I, the Lakers, especially in this kind of climate we're in with the pandemic, and we've discussed this before, I don't think they need home court. I think it's kind of irrelevant for them. Honestly, I think if, I don't know, so I, I don't see this happening, but by some unfortunate circumstance, they end up being like the eighth seed or something. Somewhere where they have to play a bunch of road games, I don't think that's relevant. As long as they have Anthony Davis and LeBron back in the lineup, I think they're going to do just fine. I think for the Lakers' sake, it's probably in their best interest just to kind of baby LeBron's injury until the playoffs start. Um, so, you know, just I wouldn't worry about capturing the number one seed in the West. I think that's kind of the least of their priorities. What do you think? 
100% agree. And I think Anthony Davis is coming back sometime in April. So, yeah, probably a rough two to three weeks for the Lakers. But that's, I, I agree with you, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. And we know this is a team, I, I've made this, side of this statistic several times, but because I think it is that impactful and that telling is that 80% of GMs pick this team to win the title. So you have to believe if they have LeBron and AD and most of the other guys around them, this is still, I, I don't even care about the Nets. This is still the overwhelming favorite to win the NBA title. Yeah. Agreed. Um, let's move on and let's talk about probably the biggest controversy in, in the basketball world. Everybody was talking about it. Pro players, college, uh, men's and women's basketball coaches. And that was the facilities um, in the women's some college basketball tournaments. So as you know, it's March Madness. And, it, and for those who are not necessarily basketball fans, the men's and women's um, NCAA basketball tournaments happen at the same time, approximately, off a few days, depending on, on how it's scheduled. But um, basically, this was brought up by – so earlier this week, um, Stanford University sports performance coach Ali Kirshner shared images on Instagram of a small rack of dumbbells in their women's weight room next to an image of a vast expanse of benches, racks, and um, darbell weights in the men's weight room. Um, this was rectified, I think, this uh, a day ago. Um, so this was tweeted all over the internet, uh, I think via the uh, main uh, Twitter account for the NCAA basketball tournament that they gave the women the weight room. Um, this was a huge, just uh, national story. It made all the national news. And this highlighted the disparities between um, just women's basketball. And even though there have been, you know, luminaries like Pat Summit, Gioriema, um, huge kind of uh, – steps towards um, improving the, the women's game in terms of notoriety. It's still, I think just by the NCAA, it, it, it's still a long way to go. Um, when you first heard about this situation, Matt, what it, what spurred in you? Do you think this is blown out of proportion or um, do you think this highlights this disparity specifically between uh, men's and women's college basketball? Well, I think even comparison aside, let, let's, just look at it as a singular gym sure. for the women's team. I, I don't think anyone would argue that that gym condition should be better for those women. Uh, so even it, it's, it's kind of insult to injury when you look at what the men's facilities were. But I think even removed from that, the gym um, amenities, I guess, for the women should have been better. Uh, so first and foremost, I would say that, um, I know a lot of people have said the, these setups are an accurate depiction of earnings for the NCAA. So, uh, men, the men's teams, so basically men's football and men's basketball earns the most amount of money in college sports period. Ba basically in most athletic departments, men's football and then most men's basketball teams are paying for the rest of sports to happen. So there is this sense, I think, inside of um, maybe college sports culture that, you know, there is a certain amount of, of gratefulness that you guys are earning this money to pay for the rest of the sports that happen. But again, a separate issue removed from earnings is that I still think those those gym that gym setup for the women 
should have been better. So that that's my main takeaway there. I think we've seen so many fumbles by the NCAA over the years. Uh, and it seems to me anyway that the NCAA has has tanked over and over again, especially in basketball. Part of that is like the one and done thing I think has made fans a little less interested, a little less loyal. So Justin, we talked about this briefly yesterday. I'll, I'll just mention it real quick, get it out of the way. And then I want your take on this, of course. Um, but I really, really feel that the some a competitor needs to come around to draw top talent away from the NCAA. I think that is ultimately like my main solution for this is take a little bit of the power away from the NCAA, make the NCAA more true to student athlete amateur status. It solves two of the biggest problems that we have right now. You get your talent paid, which a lot of people would want to see. Um, and you also, you get a little bit more of an honest feel of student ath athletics, um, students that not only cross country team is, is going to school, but um, all these athletes, because let's be honest, that one and done situation in uh, men's basketball, particularly can be kind of a joke. And I, I've seen examples in my own personal life in classes I have attended, um, you know, but that's that's the way the system is right now. Um, and, and I'm certainly not putting the blame on those athletes. They're not the ones in charge. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry to go off on a tangent there, Justin, but please, please weigh in with your thought about your thoughts about the gym and otherwise. Yeah. Um, these is, this is going to seem pretty strong, but I think it's blatant sexism. I mean, we saw this with the WNBA in the bubble when they didn't have the same facilities as the, the laundry facilities and the same access to, um, you know, barbers or the hairstylists. It's the same thing, amenities that the men got. And I just think also you have these, you have these television contracts, right? Where's this money going in terms of the women's contract with ESPN, the, the revenue that you're making. And I just can't find an excuse because, you know, I understand that things are not the same because of the pandemic and what's going on. That, that's a huge hit of revenue. It's a massive hit for revenue. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people flock to not only the main site for the tournament, but also all over the country. It's a big deal in March. I mean, you know, Matt, I mean, us too and our friends talked about going to the Mount West Conference tournament. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a huge deal. I mean, that revenue is being taken out. So, you know, I would say even though there's a tournament going on this year, ever than the television money, there's a huge lack of revenue. I totally understand that. However, when you see the men's team just have this, you know, immaculate weight room, it draws curiosity in which you can't get weights from another college facility to use. I mean, we're not even talking about buying new stuff. You just borrow somebody else's weight facility within I mean, the, the tournaments in San Antonio. Just borrow some weights from there. You can't make a makeshift weight room. It doesn't have to be, I mean, it doesn't have to be like state of the art, but at least the same stuff to get the job done in terms of um, conditioning and recovering your body through each and every game. I, I don't buy the excuses of money. I think it's inexcusable. I think it was a disgrace what, what happened. And I, I don't know if you saw J.R. Giddens' um, face, J.R. Giddens' former player for the Mexico Lobos, um, former NBA pro, I believe he's a women's college basketball coach, and he was just highlighting just the differences between the welcome packets between the men's and women's game. It's just, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, it just seems 
pretty inexcusable. I, in terms of this particular argument of the weight room, I, I don't buy in terms of money. You can, you can make it happen. You can have a truck. <laughs> How hard is it to get a truck, put some weights from somewhere? Somebody, you can get a sponsor. They probably give it to you for free. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, we're the official weight sponsor for the Women's College Basketball Tournament. Put it in there. Let all the um, participants use it and, and take care of that. Um, in regards to your larger point in terms of amateurism, and, you know, this goes to players getting paid. I know there's even a bill, I think, in New Mexico, and this has been happening really all over the country of trying to get athletes, um, their name and likeness, getting money for that. And, you know, we operate a YouTube channel now. So in this day and age, everybody can monetize their name and likeness, especially with the these players. You know, they're playing on TV. They have a name and likeness, so people want to follow them because of their athletic achievement. And under the current NCAA rules, they are not able to make money off of that. And that's a massive problem. So I think the NCAA really, first of all, this is just a massive screw up on their end. This is it's ridiculous. It's yeah. it's quite disgraceful. I There's no excuse at all. Um, I think to your larger point, it goes to what happens to the evolving nature of technology and sports because now I know I'm kind of moving off subject, but you have a lot of colleges participating in esports, and a lot of those participants make money off of YouTube. They have an incoming revenue source. And so now they want to educate themselves of going to college that's taken away. Not to mention, let's just talk about, you know, basketball players. Now look at Paige Buckers. I mean, she had a huge Instagram following. She had at least a couple, I think 200 or 300,000, followers on instagram before she even got into playing for uconn i mean mm-hmm. and she she's should be able to monetize that because of her skills she deserves that that's her hard work she deserves some kind of whatever she wants an endorsement deal or anything on her instagram she deserves that if she wants to also get an education too there's nothing wrong with that compared to you see gymnasts you see them at a younger age get endorsement deals at a young age when they win the gold medal. I don't understand why with NCAA, why there's a huge difference. The rules have to be changed. I understand what you're saying, Matt. I think for the NBA particularly, or just I think women and men's basketball players um, looking to play professionally, I think the G League, I think internationally, I think separate leagues away from just these colleges are going to make a lot of sense. And honestly, you know, quite honest, maybe just doing both. I mean, a situation in which they go to college and then you play in these, I guess, I guess summer league. You play two months in maybe like a professional summer league and you go back to college. I mean, we've seen it, you know, look at soccer. How many teams they soccer players play for? They play um, um, simultaneously the same team in the same season. And not to mention AEU. I mean, you see players um, participating for their college or high school team and AEU. I mean, it is possible. So, I think overall, the NCAA, I think no matter what we do with trying to get amateurism back, I just think there's just so much money. I think players and athletes, men and women, no matter what sport, whether they're playing chess, golf, um, badminton, lacrosse, or at the major level of you know men's and women's athletics, they should have rights over their own likeness. I think that's pretty simple. I don't think that's a too of a hard command to make, but I just see with the NCAA, they want to hide under amateurism and purity. It's a crock. They want a piece of the money pie. And so, I don't know. They have a lot of soul searching to do, but I don't see things changing just based on something easy as a weight room. 
easy as just not even like paying like $200,000, which I'm sure would be easy enough. But just if they're really struggling for money, you can get a sponsor. How hard is it to get a sponsor? Not hard at all. I mean, honestly, in terms of women athletics, I would say the women's college basketball tournament is probably a top five sporting event in this country every year. I mean, people love watching women's college basketball. You know, Matt, living here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I mean, women's college basketball has been a huge part of the state, and especially Albuquerque. So it's not hard to find sponsors you want to jump on and, and help. So, I don't know, the situation's pretty terrible. But I, Sally, I think we're probably going to see this, you know, more and more in the future. Yeah, I think the NCAA starting to play pay players opens up a whole nother can of worms. And I know that my amateurism views are pie in the sky. They're not popular. I I get that. You know, one thing that a professor from Stanford used to tell their students, um, I I think it may have been, maybe it was Mark Zuckerberg even who mentioned this, but someone who went on to start a big business mentioned that they said, if you have an innovative idea to start a business, so, so relating this to business majors, if you have a, an idea for a business that's going to change the world. If, if you're going to start an Uber, a Facebook, something like that, don't go to college, go start your business. This was the advice from Stanford business uh, professors. Um, I, I would just say, I would like more lanes for athletes to be able to go. Like rather than trusting the NCAA, which has dropped the ball a lot of times, trusting them to then pay players fairly and and do things like that across these multiple conferences that have multiple different popularity levels. There's there's a huge discrepancy between power five conferences and like our beloved Lobos in, in the mountain West. That's true. Um, So, I mean, it's, it would basically be game over for college sports in, in my point of view, because, or, or you just have two different, like all of a sudden something that isn't power five is now division two. Like you structure it that way. Uh, maybe something like that could work. I don't know. Obviously, I, I haven't uh, <laughs> written all these ideas out and seen how they check out from a legal standpoint. But the what I would encourage is I, I would like players to be drafted out of high school if they have the talent to do that. I would also like to say, of course, that you don't have to go to the pros right out of high school in terms of the NBA that level of competition you can do what brandon jennings did long ago and play in europe or you can play in the g league like i i would just like those things to expand more because there, with it being um not hiding under this cloak of amateurism and i agree with you that it is kind of a phony thing right now it's it's not true in in the way it is um even with how those student athletes are being treated with relation to regular students it's it's not the same experience um a lot more practice demands a lot more time demands for student athletes for example um so i i would just like more lanes open for these players to do those things but you and i are in agreement in terms of how pathetic that gym looked <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I have nothing to add to that <laughs> we could spend the entire time talking about this i sure. will say that with college athletics overall i transparency would be very nice to see in terms of how much of that money in terms of the mountain west getting a kickback when one of those teams make it into the bcs to 
teams make it into the NCAA tournament. Where is that money going? How that's being distributed? Is it going to athletics? Is it where is it going? Is it going to build another facility, or is it, or is it going to go to these players? I mean, look at these monster facilities that we're seeing. I mean, I watched it on YouTube. I don't know if you checked it out, but there's this um, I forgot what it's called, but they profile different locker rooms all over the country. They're amazing. I mean, they're yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, they're insane. <laughs> so sure the players have the these facilities to go to but a lot of these players are struggling where their meals gonna come from they have a full ride scholarship they only have three meal whatever tickets or credits to use each day i mean they just they earned that full ride scholarship they shouldn't be struggling to get something to eat or to have their books they should be comfortable <laughs> you know, I mean, they they earn that. That's why they're on a full ride scholarship. So there's certain things like that where they have to struggle to meet ends meet is a joke. And so, to me, if we're not going to pay players, um, and I, I get it, Matt. It is you opening Pandora's box. I 100% agree with you in terms of different sports. However, I just think in terms of how athletes are treated, that needs to be reevaluated overall in terms of being on scholarship. Like there should be no issues in terms of your dorm to food to clothing to books. I mean, that's what you're on a scholarship for. And it's, it really opened my eyes just talking to some college players while, you know, I was in college, just the struggles that they went through. It, it's just ridiculous. Um, and I'm, just, I'm sure there's perks, but, you know, it, it's just difficult for players to not take those handouts by boosters when they're struggling, when they can't get something to eat. Like, you know, they want 20 bucks or something. And it's just all these rules. Like, I, I just think there's a, mul- a multitude of problems in terms of how the NCAA regulates its players. It's quite shameful. And I think this weight room issue, could, I think, highlights just one of the many um, problems that's going on with college athletics. And, and I have little hope it's going to be rectified. But I think if we're not going to pay the athletes, I, I understand that. I just think that one players should be able to make any kind of unlimited funds off their name and likeness period Two, if you're on scholarship for any type of athletic or um i guess competition depending on how it goes with esports and other stuff because you know it's another thing i don't believe esports is a sport but nevertheless it falls under athletics um i do think they need to be treated the, the same way and given the same access to books and to again food and just be comfortable they earn as a scholarship they shouldn't be calling their parents asking for money um just to you know for normal stuff that you know when we were college students you know i mean i know i wasn't on scholarship and you know i you know had to get loans stuff like that because i wasn't on scholarship so but if you earn that you have to get the privileges with that and it's just shocking that you hear a lot of athletes who are on scholarship and even playing for like major colleges they're not getting those perks. It's it sucks. It sucks for them. Yeah, I think you know just to play devil's advo- sure. advocate, um, because I think it makes the conversation more interesting. Yeah, sure. I, I think what the NCAA would say, and of course a lot would disagree with this. I think they would say that your name and likeness is signed to us by that full ride scholarship that we're giving you. Like there's monetary value in that, which I know. A lot of people would say, well, that's BS or whatever, um, you know, and, and I, I would also say that, you know, there are regular students going to college under sure. those same circumstances, you know, maybe just on beans and rice diet sure. <laughs> to get through college or sure. you know, ramen in your dorm room. And then they come out of that with 
300,000 plus in student loan debt, things like that. So, um, you know, that, that's why for me, the solution is more choice for those athletes. Like if we've seen a, a bad track record in terms of the NCAA, I will say the NCAA for less prominent athletes, like athletes that aren't going to have a career in the pros. I do think that full ride scholarship is, is an awesome thing for a lot of people that doesn't get reported, uh, doesn't make headlines like it does with the elite level athletes who do have more earning potential under their name and likeness, like you're saying. Um, So I don't know, for me, the solution is more like a turn away from the NCAA. Like if you are the next LeBron James, if you're Zion, don't go to Duke, go play in Europe for a year and then come, you know, make your earnings for that year in Europe and come back or go to the G League, et cetera. And hopefully we'll see the G League be built up a little bit more and have more lucrative salary options so that because because i think it's unappealing to like an 18 year old like i think of myself at 18 if i had you know as much talent as zion does in his pinky finger you know i don't think it's that appealing of an idea for an 18 year old to leave the country and go to europe so hopefully what we see is the g league get more and more popular because i think that would be a solution for basketball specifically agreed other options too, I think even we the big three is expanding to allow not just retired players. So, you know, who knows if the big three evolves into something else, we have other alternatives there to develop talent to um get players into the NBA. Cause you know, the basketball itself as a as a game has many leagues and yet very few, at least in America, are super monetized. But they're extremely popular in the local circuit, but offer little to no pay. So if there was a way to, because there's there's a market for different leagues. I mean, look at the Drew League. Look at these other leagues. There's clearly a market for non-NBA talent out there for people to watch. It's just trying to put that in a league that you can cipher talent at a high school that they don't want to go to college. I will say with their name and likeness, I get where you're saying but if you're a athlete that doesn't use the university but yourself to promote something else, because we've seen that all the time in terms of, hey, I'm a professional so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-ho, and they wear a generic jersey and they're just promoting, like, you know, you know Hawaiian punch or something. Right. Um, some, <laughs> some, random, some random drink. You know, you know they're a basketball player, but, you know, they might wear the colors. You know, we've seen that many a times. They're not affiliated with that. So mm-hmm. I don't know in terms of, like, owning their name. I don't – I'm not sure if that's the case, if they're owning, hey, you know, once you sign this, we own your your actual name. I think in terms of using the university, I get that. Like, you can't just be wearing your Kentucky varsity jacket, you know, doing auto sales without talking to Kentucky first. But – in terms of yourself, I, I wish in terms of that athlete having that um, flexibility to work um, or to get that earning potential based on their hard work. I don't see that to be an issue, especially now where it's way more user friendly in terms of everything's connected, everything's on Instagram, everything's on you know YouTube. I mean, I think there's a way to. I think. Eat, both ways can be correct. I totally agree with you, Matt. I'm down with other pipelines, but also, you know, if you want to get an education too, I think you should be have a right to get extra earning potential. I mean, I was able to go to school and have a job, you know, do both. Right. So I think with them, in I I think they deserve that potential, especially because they have the extra burden of not only getting their education but also going to classes too. 
And right. also, they are making the university a lot. This is a symbiotic relationship, right? Understood. The university are giving these kids a education, a free education. Totally understand that. Totally respect that. At the same time, they are making the university tons and tons of money, especially when you have a Zion who's an, you know a must-see person for Duke, and the TV ratings go up. That helps you know their local television affiliate. That helps the ticket sales, merchandise, everything for that one year. And he has Zion sees nothing except his scholarship, but his worth is worth more than the scholarship. So, so yeah. that's where you run into issues in terms of the individual person. So there's a myriad of issues. We could talk about this all day. But anyways, I just think, you know, the NCAA, they, they really need to um, get it in gear. But I have a little hope, to be honest. I mean, they have a myriad of problems, and this is just one of them. Yep, absolutely. And I, I think it all stems from the NCAA was not meant to be this bloated and this financially successful when it was set that's up. True. Um, and so there are issues there that need to be remedied. You know, you mentioned the lawsuit that's in, in place and ongoing. Seems like variations of that lawsuit have been in place for a long time. I mean, think of like Maurice Claret that's true. Uh, from a long, long time ago. Uh, and he just wanted to be able to go to the pros a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like you said, we could talk about this all day. Um, but there's, there's definitely, you know, I, I think options for change, uh, but it seems like the, the one common thread I'll say is it seems like everyone's unhappy, which makes me think that it's going to change one way or the other. Yeah. Well, we'll just have to, to see how it plays out. And also whenever the WNBA season launches, we'll see if the same kind of rule set for the NBA applies to the WNBA and maybe this conversation will come up again, but on a professional level, we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's move on to our next topic. And that is the subject of three pointers. Now, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, watching basketball when we were younger, the probably the most prominent part of basketball was, I would say having a big man and maybe having a strong like guard, I would say. And mm-hmm. three-pointers, I don't necessarily remember them being – they're a luxury shot. You had three-point yeah. specialists. So like Jordan was able to hit threes, but he wouldn't take too many of them. Now the game has changed dramatically. And Ray Allen, retired, was on with Mike Greenberg, his um, show ESPN Greeny. And um, – Greenberg asked him about the three-point shot. And before going into this quote, um, Greeny asked him, how many shots, three-pointers would you take per game? He said five to six. And now you're seeing guys take the eight or nine or ten of them. And um, this is what he had to say um, about the three-point shot. Quote, I think the game is still extremely entertaining. There is a lack of appeal to it right now, watching it because there are so many di- different dynamics to the game are, that are being lost. The mid-range games being lost. You look at Toronto a couple of years ago. When they won the championship, they had some great three-point shooters, but you saw them pump fake and get into the paint and shoot the mid-range shot. Nowadays, guys pump fake and step sideways on the three-point line. What I tell my boys, I'm coaching the AAU team currently, I tell them, I want you guys to pay attention to what goes on in college, play hard, learn from the NBA the do's and don'ts, but don't settle for threes. So... This is interesting because, you know, Ray Allen's considered one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. <laughs> kind of ironic. Yet, yeah. yeah, but at the same time, the way three-pointers are going, I mean, in the next 20 years, 
I hate to say this, but how important is Ray Allen going is really going to be, and you know, in the next twenty years, if the three point shot is being evolving like this, because we're not only seeing the, the number of threes changing, but also the way the floor is being spaced, because we have players like Trey Young, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard. I don't think they're outliers. I'm sure. I certainly think that high that level of shot is difficult not everybody can hit it but at the same time you're seeing a lot more players that can hit it i mean i think steph curry is the greatest shooter who ever lived at the same time he's not the only one that can hit shots from half court so Mm -hmm. what do you think of ray allen's comments and do you think he has one do you think he has a point regarding this and two this is going to be it's a thought about this now if you don't mind me asking about you know if if your kids get into basketball and they want to take you know threes, what what are your thoughts on that? Because they're going to be emulating. I'm sure if they get into basketball, the NBA, probably not college. What do you what do you think about that? It, it, do you see that being like an issue for them for, for not knowing fundamentals? I mean, you're close to the game. I mean, this is I think for I think parents that have you know kids playing basketball on different levels what are your what are your thoughts on just you know kids just jacking up threes all the time do you think that's a negative or positive yeah it's kind of the old stereotype now right is that kids watch steph curry and now they don't want to practice free throws or anything like that they don't want to practice your fundamentals they want to go out from beyond the arc right away which is funny to see little kids do that because you get this like you know this heave from their shoulder there it's not true like shooting mechanics like curry and damian lillard the primary example in that all-star game i mean when they are shooting shots from the logo those logo shots the the one that damian lillard ended the game with that's still proper shooting mechanics so it's it's not some new kind of warped form that these guys are using um look i i think you should you should practice what you have the strength to practice in terms of being a kid. So that's probably initially, um, you know, my my son is well under ten years old, and he he um, I, I don't think he could shoot a free throw right now. So it's more just about like we've got a mini ball when we go to the park every now and then. It's more just like get the ball up and around the hoop area, however you can do it. Let's just make this fun and enjoyable. We're, we're not working on mechanics yet, sure. uh, that's for sure. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think with Ray Allen's point, I I didn't find his comments all that shocking. I, I think the source is more shocking than the actual comments because it wasn't even like he was saying, oh, bigs are terrible these days or no. any, any of these, like, you know, well, old retired player comments that we've had a few topics on this show about like things Shaq has said and Barkley has said in the past, stuff like that. It didn't even come across like, like a get off my lawn kind of comment. Um, it, I think his comment was more just there should still be a place in the game for a mid range shot. And I think with spacing on the court, the way it is right now, like if you're in a situation where you're down by two or down by one and it's towards the end of the game. Yeah. You should have someone on your team who can knock down a mid range jumper. And there are guys who can definitely do that. I mean, like LeBron James is great in the mid range. He just doesn't operate there most often because it's not as efficient as, you know, Daryl Morey, Houston Rockets style basketball of 
shooting threes or doing layups or getting to the free throw line by trying to do those layups. Uh, so I, I think it's just, it's a phase of the game right now. Um, there was a game, oh, I know the Nuggets were involved, but the game ended on a three and one. Maybe you can help me out if you remember it, but they passed up an open layup to pass the ball out to uh, one of the wings for I I saw that. Um, yeah. for a three-pointer, missed it, lost the game. They could have taken the layup to tie the game, I believe. Uh, so that's just not smart basketball. No, and <laughs> there are examples where the three-point shot does seem egregious. Like Ray Allen's example where pump fake sidestep to get that three-point shot uh, I mean, my coach, you know, when you and I are in middle school together, Justin, my coach would have benched me for like not going towards the basket yeah. um, in a play like that. So I, I think you see examples of that from time to time. But I also think you're seeing guys that can do things that we've never seen possible. You alluded to the skill that the players have now with the three point shot. I mean, again, alluding back to that all star game, it taking logo shots does not feel ridiculous when it's coming from Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. Not everyone should be doing that. Sure. It would look horrible if some like LeBron in one of his games, or maybe that was the all-star game as well. He airballed in front of the rim uh, shooting from the logo. So, you know, there's less accuracy back there for sure, but there are guys that can hit it with relative ease. So I would say, I totally feel you on those comments. I agree with you. And also, I think for younger players to take a note, you got to keep in mind the hard work, too. I yeah. mean, look at the dribbling drills that Steph Curry does every single day, as well as other players. Look at how many shots they're taking. And I think that's kind of good. I think when we were younger, we didn't have access to how hard Michael Jordan was working when the cameras were off. I think we got a, a glimpse of that in the last dance. But now... With Twitter, if you're looking up to Steph Curry, you're seeing him, you know, take a hundred threes and not missing, right? So that if you're a fan of his, it's going to encourage you. You're practicing, even yeah. if you hit only ten of them, you're still practicing. You're still improving your game, as opposed to you know, in, in the '90s, if Steph Curry was around, I think it'd just be more of oh, he has God-given ability, and we wouldn't have. I mean, you would hear stories maybe like newspaper articles of how hard he worked, but just seeing it's different. I think seeing is believing. And I think as long as younger players are noting the work that they're putting in to hit those tough shots, then I'm, I'm open for it. I really am. I think it makes the game um, a lot more entertaining. I think what's going to be interesting to see is the number of three-pointers, if they just stay like this as a common part of the game, or does it evolve back into more of a big man type of situation just through the natural evolution of things? And I don't, I'm not exactly sure just because we're just seeing elite athletes at just a, a height that mm-hmm. are able to do tons of things. I mean, Kevin Durant, everybody says he's seven feet tall, but yeah, he doesn't play nowhere near like a center. Right. Um, right. So, you know, like Jalen Rose says, positionless basketball. So you're seeing guys basically being able to play pretty much all five positions on the court nowadays. So I think the game of basketball, as we know it, as like, hey, traditional power forward, traditional center, um, you know, you're kind of specialist that, you know, maybe like a defensive specialist or something. I think that's kind of over. It can have to be like a jack of all trades. And I think the three-point shot plays a role in that, just seeing how many players are, you know, being able to take it. I mean, 
a player like Giannis taking three-point shots and Embiid would be insane. I mean, look at Shaq. I mean, he only take threes during the All-Star game or just make headlines. Hey, Shaq took a three in the All-Star game. Or Shaq took a three in the regular season game just randomly. Um, so I think we've seen that with Dwight Howard, you know, you I think when he in his um, prime in Orlando, I think he hit a three or something, and it was just seemed a big freak accident. But now we're seeing big men take threes on a regular basis. So the game has evolved. Yeah. So I think for Ray Allen, I totally get what he's saying. I totally get what he's saying with the mid-range game. Agreed. I think that's something that is underrated. I think that's an effective shot in basketball that's not utilized all the time. At the same time, there's the rates of athletes in terms of, again, you know, that we, we do, that we discussed with um, Kelly Oubre um, Sr., that interview's coming up later this week. You know, the days of just, hey, you play in high school or it's over, you get a summer break. I mean, you're all these athletes that are highly ranked, they are playing, you know, 365, 24-7. So the, the evolution of the, of the game is happening at such a quicker rate. So I think what um, you, you and... Um, myself think as traditional basketball, I think it's going to look fairly different, you know, 20 years from now, just due to just the dedication to nutrition, just the evolution of things, things evolve. And I just think for Ray Allen, I I think he's going to be quite shocked to see what the game is, you know, years from now, you know, when his, you know, players that he coached are in the NBA, I think he's going to be quite shocked probably. Yeah, agreed a hundred percent. And I think, I I wish the narrative more was appreciation of the amount of skill that this is taking. Sure. When you see guys, it's not always executed well, but when you see guys like Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, Mm -hmm. you know, like Dan was saying in our interview earlier, uh, I mean, appreciate this while you're watching it because it's, it is amazing. It's it's stuff we have not seen before. I mean, we should appreciate LeBron James for what he has been able to do this year I mean, you know, I hope he recovers quickly, but what he's been able to do as a 36-year-old is incredible. I, I saw that stat line. I don't know if you saw this on ESPN where he's scoring like 26 points a game and the closest person to him to score that many points at age 36 or older was Carl Malone with wow. like 20 points a game. Wow. Uh, and, and then the other two they mentioned were in the teens, like 18 mm-hmm. and 15. Uh, so... We're, we're seeing things that have never happened before. We are seeing, in many ways, I think, human evolution. The other thing that's nice about the three-point shot being relevant and important and doable with a lot of practice and, of course, sound mechanics, because it is a high degree of difficulty. Let's, let's not get it twisted. But more people can relate to the game that way, too. Now, people aren't going to put in the work to be able to shoot, shoot like Steph Curry with that consistent of mechanics, but... You know, I like I'm the same height as Steph Curry. Uh, no, I, I don't have any of the talent that he has. But that does make it kind of interesting as a viewer that I think like, man, look at what this guy is doing. I mean, he's he's the same height as me. I can relate to him. Whereas, you know, this, this is another maybe tired narrative. But it's hard to relate when you see like, oh, there's David Robinson flying into the lane, yeah. dominating someone like, man, I'll, I'll never know what it feels to be you know, seven feet, 250 plus pounds of muscle. Um, you know, a lot of people just aren't going to be able to relate to that. So, yeah. so I think it gives a good contrast because we still have athletic super freaks. I, I just mentioned one with LeBron James. I mean, nobody's going to be, or very few are going to be six, nine, 
250 plus pounds of muscle. Um, whereas, you know, I, I guess if you're kind of a point guard tight, it, it gives you this shred of hope that, that makes it more relatable as, yeah. as a product. For sure. I feel you. And also, it's funny that you, you know, you relate that to Steph Curry because of his height, because on TV, he looks a lot shorter than others, right? So same yeah. thing, you know, when you discover that John Stockson, I think what he's six, four. Um, but you know, on television, he looks smaller than everybody else. But yet, to, you know, myself and others who are like really short, you can relate to those type of players, in terms of what they're doing. And you can actually mimic that in other forms of life compared to, you know, like you saying, somebody who's a more dominant player, you can't necessarily relate to their physical abilities. I mean, you can only mimic that in NBA 2K. So I think overall, to your point about Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, I think absolutely. I think, you know, you'll hear this. You heard heard this in the Dan Morang interviewer, you know, that, you know, in the audio portion. What Damian Lillard's doing, it's it's incredible, and not to mention his the personal tragedies and what we're seeing from Trey Young and Steph Curry, just that ability. I don't think it's being necessarily appreciated. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was during the Golden State Warriors title run. I think through social media, I think now it's been a little bit downplayed, and I think that goes for players, even though they're not necessarily my cup of tea. Um, like a James Harden, I think he does some amazing things out there. Oh yeah, for sure. Not to mention Kyrie Irving, uh, the just the athleticism and everything that they're doing is it's, it is on just a different level compared to the game. It's evolved into a different. It, I, that's why it's kind of hard to compare eras, just because the way that LeBron and others, even with the way you know, even his son. I mean, look at Bronny. I mean, he the way LeBron's son has come through. Not even him being. You know the son of this legendary NBA player, just doing playing through AAU to others. It's going to be completely different than what, Le- Le- what LeBron James had to go through, just playing in high school. Yeah. So, yeah, like like you're saying, I think it's just good to just to smell the roses and just appreciate what's happening. Yeah, the league has never been deeper, never Great. been more talented. It, it's um, it's amazing the level of skill that you have to have to make it into the NBA these days. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you have anything else to add, Matt, before we uh, – I want to give you one more note before we say goodbye. I'm all set, man. Go for it. So, unfortunately, I have some bad news. The Houston Rockets um, have now lost <laughs> 20 games in a row, losing oh. to the Thunder. I know. Sorry, man. And um, right now I'm seeing on Twitter that Steven Silas, he is – he, he's, he's not in a good way. <laughs> I feel bad uh, for him. Yeah. Hey, get that draft out. pick. Yeah. Get that draft pick. Rocket. It's true. Come on. <laughs> well, I heard this year's draft is supposed to be better than last year's. So that's true. Yep. Um, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Um, before we just let you go, just want to fill you in on some of the um, past interviews that we had. Um, check out Arter or Cal of ESPN. If you want to know about NBA Top Shot, Check that out. We're going to have plenty of interviews coming up discussing that, so you want to stay tuned. Um, we also had a talk with Ryan O'Leary of Courts of the World, just talking about different basketball courts around the world. Very interesting discussion with him. Um, we also have an interview with Brian Toperic, um, talking about the Philadelphia 76. I know the trade deadline's coming up, but that still has some relevant information in there. Um, Nick Green, um, author um, and of a great, great book, um, How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius, a great chat with him. Um, again, you know, we have just our total library of interviews. Um, Indiana Pacers silent reporter Pat Boylan, um, CEO of Top Flight um, Elite Basketball, Christmas Swain, um, you know, 
your interview with Paul Nepper, um, you know, my interview with Dane Moore, just plenty of interviews out there, um, just breaking down just the game of basketball. I mean, we, I can just go on and on, but check out our um, YouTube channel that you put it up, Matt. You do an awesome job with that. Check Thank out. You, it's our podcast, and just yeah, stay tuned for our Twitter feed because we're going to have a lot more content coming up. So you want to just stay tuned for that, discovering all phases of the game. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrich. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes of our podcast, Negative Positive. We like all feedback, and we'll see you next time. See you later. Peace.